Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. In today's episode, I interview a good friend of mine, a clinician, and an all-around great human being, Troy Love, who is a licensed clinical social worker out of Yuma, Arizona in the United States. Now, Troy has done a lot of writing and work with helping people heal from the impact of loss, neglect, abandonment, betrayal, and all of these different kinds of wounds that many people experience in the families they grew up in and early friendships, even romantic relationships. And so the work we're going to talk about today isn't specifically going to be directly related to betrayal trauma in romantic adult relationships, but more specifically about some of the earlier wounds that people come into these romantic relationships with. So for example, having parents that were emotionally unavailable, or maybe there was physical neglect or abuse or other kinds of things that happen that leave someone feeling so broken and ashamed. Troy's the author of the book, Finding Peace. And he actually just barely released a brand new book called The Year of Self-Love, which is available now. And I'll give you links and ways to purchase that book at the end of our show and in the show notes. But let me tell you a little bit about Troy. He is a licensed clinical social worker. He's an author, a clinician, a presenter, and he also is the director of Yuma Counseling Services. And Troy has over 20 years of experience, and he just does a lot of work, again, to help people heal from trauma, improve relationships, and does a lot of work with people that are trying to heal from sexually compulsive behaviors. And as you'll see in this episode, Troy talks a lot about how these kinds of early wounds are really at the root of a lot of the numbing and checking out and and acting out behaviors that happen later in life when these things are not resolved at all. And so in today's episode, Troy and I are going to talk about some of the specific wounding that can happen in these early relationships and also how those things end up showing up later on in our lives. So let's jump right into the interview with Troy Love. Well, welcome to the Illuminate podcast, Troy. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I'm so excited to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to introduce my listeners to your book, Finding Peace. And it's a big deal to write a book. I mean, these are not easy tasks to (laughs) to accomplish. So (laughs) you would know. (laughs) Congratulations on that, first of all, on having this book. And I know you've built some retreats out of the book as well, right? I have. You're doing some multi-day retreats where people can actually have experiential, you know, opportunities to heal and connect with other people and and do some of this work, which really is done so much better in a group context. Absolutely. And so, yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, just briefly about the book, why in the world you decided to write a a workbook and, you know, what you're offering to the world with this? So when I, I've been a therapist, I've been in the mental health field for over 20 years. And at the very beginning, when I was in my bachelor's, getting my bachelor's in social work, I had a professor who told me that if I wanted to be a good social worker, I needed to go do my own work. And I was in a lot of denial about my work that needed to be done at that time. So I, I, in my mind, I thought she didn't know what she was talking about. And so I didn't. <laughs> I remember having that conversation too when I was in graduate school and I thought, no, I'm a therapist. I'm good. Right? <laughs> but went on to get my master's. And I had an opportunity to work with individuals who were struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. 
That's when I really started to understand that I had an addiction. I'm a recovering sex addict, and I had never even identified that as a thing before. And so that kind of opened the door for me to start doing my own work. And I was really, I loved learning. I loved trying to figure this stuff out. And I was trying to figure out a way to, for me, to be able to understand what the healing process was going to look like. And so I was reading books and going to therapy and all kinds of stuff, trying to figure it out. And I started to conceptualize what I call attachment wounds, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit. And so I started, when I opened up my private practice, I started teaching people about these attachment wounds. And then I went to training emotionally focused couples therapy, and I went to training for that. And so a buddy of mine, Matt Wheeler up in Phoenix, and I would start to do the Hold Me Tight retreats. And we'd be talking about these attachment wounds in Hold Me Tight retreat. And people were like, well, what are those? And where can I learn more information about those? And I'm like, well, they're just in my head. <laughs> just <laughs> And they're like, well, you should write a book about that. And so I, I finally decided I should write a book about that. So in 2016, I started writing the book, Finding Peace, and starting to explain what these attachment wounds were. And so that's how the books came to be. And I love that. And emotionally focused therapy, for those of you who don't know, is a model on adult attachment to help couples rebuild the bond in their relationship. But like you're saying, Troy, a lot of people who have these attachment wounds in a couple's relationship brought these wounds in from older relationships, family of origin, even romantic relationships, or even close relationships with coaches or teachers or other people that, that they had a relationship of trust with. And being in a marriage doesn't just automatically heal those wounds. There's an individual no. component to, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'll get married and someone will love me and then I'll just feel better. And, you know, it's hard because you don't either, you know, you're not even, in most cases, not even able to accept love. And I mean, there's just a lot right. that goes into this. And so I love that you've provided a, a resource so individuals can take responsibility for their own healing. Yeah. And I found that identifying what the attachment wounds are helps even when I'm doing emotionally focused couples therapy, because we can talk about, these are my wounds. Uh, You didn't cause them. Maybe you stirred them up. Maybe you stuck your finger in there and poked around a little bit. Yeah, They're mine. And I have to figure out what I'm going to do with that. Take some ownership of my pain instead of putting it all on the other partner. I love that. Yeah. And that's when the healing begins Mm -hmm. because boy, it's pretty overwhelming for a partner to feel like they've got to somehow fix this person's attachment wounds. When, when they're not taking any responsibility or have no personal awareness of it. Right. That's a losing it's, proposition. Yeah. And it doesn't work. And, and in my experience, both people in the relationship have wounds. And so it's yeah. unfair for me to expect that my partner is going to take care of all of my wounds when she's wounded herself. I, it's not fair. It's impossible. Yeah, no, exactly. It you know, reminds me of that saying that we've all heard, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And right. And so when you're in a relationship with somebody who has attachment wounds, you're going to get hurt and they're already hurting and it's tough. And, you know, sometimes you have somebody in the relationship who had a really secure attachment and grew up in a really secure environment and they marry somebody who didn't and that's challenging. But in my experience, most of us have some kind of attachment wounding, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like, exactly. uh, you know, I think most of us get pretty banged up because it's hard living in a family and people... You know, it's just messy. And so 
Yeah. So this is a workbook and you wrote it in a fictional style. And I'm so curious about that. I've never asked you about that. Tell me about that. It's a really unique approach to this because you wrote it for like a story. I did. So when I started writing it at the beginning, it was a traditional self-help kind of psychoeducational directive. And I was, I had started many drafts and I just couldn't get past like the second chapter. I was bored. I was like, this, is, <laughs> this isn't working. I'm like, and if I'm bored, that's not going to work well for, for the readers. Yeah, there's some feedback. <laughs> so some of the most powerful books that have really touched me have all have been in a fictional kind of some of the business books that I've read. There's a fictional story that goes along with it. And so I thought, yeah. oh, let me try that. Let me try that. So I created a group, a fictional group with eight different people in the group. And then the facilitator who's named Todd, which is an inside joke because my mother-in-law called me Todd for the first year of my marriage. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's an inside joke. But oh my uh, so it's me and these eight fictional people. <laughs> and so I go and basically the book is how I n- normally explain this stuff to my clients. So I've had a lot of people say like, when I read this, I can totally hear you talking. <laughs> like, this is you. I'm like, well, yeah, that's. But so it helped make the story, I think, a little bit more interesting. And it also, each one of the characters in the book personifies one of the wounds because there's six of them. There's loss, rejection, neglect, betrayal, abandonment, and abuse. And so each one of them has at least one of those wounds that they are processing throughout the course of the book. And so it helps it helped me be able to then illustrate, well, this is what a loss wound looks like, or this is what a rejection wound looks like. This is what the work would maybe look like if you were handling an, an abandonment wound. And so it, it illustrates in a way that's, I think, a little bit easier for readers to understand versus me just telling the facts. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. And you're right. Story is, is such a powerful way to carry people and it brings down defenses and you care about the people and it doesn't feel as talking head lectury. And it probably, you know, if you're writing a book to a group of people who probably feel shame very easily, you don't want to come mm-hmm. off as too authoritative, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be a little gentle. Got to come in sort of, yeah, kind of really gentle. So I love that. I'd love to have you talk about each of these six wounds. And okay. if you can real quick, just more sort sure. of to organize and illustrate what each of these really represents. because. I think sometimes as therapists, we, and my wife tells me this all the time. She's like, you don't speak like other people speak, Jeff. <laughs> I'm like, what my are you talking about? The same thing. <laughs> right? She's like, speak in English. People don't say words like that in mixed company. And so anyway, oh. so, so I, I don't want to make any assumptions that our listeners know exactly what each of these mean. So can you describe what each of yeah. these losses are and maybe give some examples? Sure. So The first one that we explore in the book is loss. And loss is a little bit different than the other five um, because loss is a part of life. But when we're looking at this wound in particular, oftentimes this wound is created when we've had a connection with someone that we love and they've passed away, or we've had a connection with someone and then they moved away or we moved away. And so we felt this connection, this bonding, this wonderful, loving relationship And then for whatever reason, because of life, they're not there anymore. And it's not because they left. It's not because they did it to us. 
intentionally. It's just a part of life. This wound can also be like, for example, a loss, like a person has a leg amputated or their kidneys stop working and they have to go on dialysis or they've been given a diagnosis of cancer. It's this, this sense of loss. Like I had this, I had my leg and now my leg is gone. It's not there anymore. And it's really affected the course of my life in one way or another. So loss, basically, you're talking about it from this place of basically what I thought was going to happen changed. And it's right. and there's some pain there that comes with that. And this obviously may not be anybody's fault. It's not a betrayal, right? but it's a hole, it's a wound. And so we call that loss then. Exactly. Okay. Perfect. So, you know, some examples, I've had a couple of clients who've had many people die in a short period of time. And so that's a pretty heavy loss wound. And that trickles down as we unfold this model, it trickles down to what's happening in their life later on. But but that can be really heavy for them, but it's not anybody did it to them on purpose. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Let's go on to the next one. Okay. So the next one is neglect and there's, this is a spectrum. So on one end we have like the child protective services version of neglect where the mom and dad are not home and the children are trying to figure out what they're going to have for dinner. When we got a two-year-old wandering around in the middle of the street, in the middle of the night with a dirty diaper, it's a pretty extreme version of neglect. And then on the other side of the spectrum, it's, I'm in my house, my mom and dad are there, but they're too busy for me. They're watching right. TV or they're on their devices or they don't have time for me. So my basic needs are being met. I have food and shelter and clothing, but that need for attachment, like pay attention to me. Am I valuable? Am I important? That need is not being met. And so that creates this neglect wound that if that's not being met, that can carry on into other relationships and there's a sensitivity around that. Yeah, right. And that neglect, like you're saying, a lot of people think, you know, that people are being too sensitive or whatever, but man, it it's painful to be invisible to someone else. Right. And we don't, we're pretty defenseless against that. Even as adults, it's painful. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, and, and they're right there, you know, they're right there, but they're not, they're not there. Yeah. Yeah, that's so neglect is more of a passive thing, right? Where it's more like it's what somebody's not doing for you. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Carry on. Yeah. So the next one is rejection. And rejection is pretty much what it sounds like. Someone is conveying to you that, that they don't like you, that there's something about you that they don't like, that they don't want you to be a part of them. They're wanting to exclude you. They're telling you that you're not enough. So a lot of wounds around this can come from being bullied or a parent who is always demanding perfection and you don't ever feel like you're being able to be enough for that expectation. And so it's a sense of, man, I, I'm just not enough. I'm not measuring up. Why don't people like me? Right. And that's, you know, where neglect is more passive, rejection feels more active. I mean, you can certainly reject somebody with the silent treatment, but, but it's intentional. It's active. It's, right. Right, it's something that, that really sends a very strong message that you're just not wanted. Yeah. That you're not okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Abandonment? Yeah. So abandonment is when somebody intentionally walks out of your life. They were there and then they're gone. And there's no closure. There's no explanation. There's no understanding. And But they're gone. And you don't understand why they're gone. So some of my clients have had a parent leave, just leave, and they don't really have any more contact with their parent. They don't understand where did their dad go? Where did their mom go? There's no closure about that. For me, I was adopted 
And so there was almost this abandonment feeling, even though I know that my birth mother did it out of love, but she was there. I was in her tummy. I could hear her heart beating. I could hear her voice. And then all of a sudden, she's not there anymore. And that wound of someone was here and now they're gone. And it's different than loss because it's almost like this was intentional. It's yeah. the person didn't die on purpose. Like, okay, I'm gonna, but just they left. Right. Like they could have stayed, but they chose not to, even if the reasons were good. Right. Right. Like mm -hmm. you're in your example with the adoption, but, but the abandonment is really coming from a place of somebody has an obligation or made a commitment to be there for you and they just disappeared. Right. Yeah. They're gone. Okay. Betrayal? Uh, so I, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, it's okay. So even like somebody, this is kind of a petty example, but it can be painful. Like oh, somebody defriends you on Facebook or social media and you don't understand why, but they they just like blocked you. And there may be good reasons for that, but that can, if I already have an abandonment wound, that can definitely stir that up. Yeah, boy. And there's so many ways with social media now, you know, even just ghosting someone on text where, you know, they don't reply back or, oh mm -hmm. my goodness, there's so many ways for us to, you know, hurt each other because <laughs> we're so overconnected. Yeah. And some people, you know, hide behind, you know, devices and the internet to kind of let, do their dirty work. Right. And so, right. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Okay. Thank you for those examples. So let's go on to the next one. Betrayal. Yeah. So betrayal, you and I both, as we are working, especially in the sex addiction field and the trauma, betrayal trauma with the spouses, this is a wound that really, a lot of these other wounds are oftentimes created as we're growing up. But this one, maybe they didn't experience growing up, but now they're in a, they're in an intimate relationship and they find out that their spouse cheated on them, has been lying to them, has been keeping secrets from them. The person that you thought they were is not behaving. You found out that they are not behaving the way that you thought. And so it feels like a betrayal. They, they're not honest. They've, they've lied. They've taken credit for something that wasn't theirs. But it's that deep betrayal of, man, I thought I could trust you. And now that trust is completely gone. Yeah. And so betrayal is really like your world, your world gets flipped upside down. It's, you know, who I thought you were, you're not. And, and obviously like, all of these things probably fall under the umbrella of betrayal to a degree, right? right? Mm -hmm. But betrayal has, you know, betrayal has more of an active sort of like breaking a commitment right. type of a thing, right? Right. Okay. So the last one is abuse. And again, I guess all of these could be abuse in one way or another, but I'm specifically looking at were you sexually abused? Were you physically abused? Were you emotionally abused? And the way that I define abuse is somebody's somebody's own wounds that they haven't taken care of, they are now inflicting that pain and suffering onto somebody else with almost this intentionality. Like they may not cognitively be doing it on purpose, but they are taking their pain and suffering out and hurting somebody else in the process. They're not doing their work to be able to heal. They're hurting somebody else in the process. So that wound incorporates like sexual abuse and physical abuse. I think that's a really good definition of what abuse is. Because it's always at the expense of somebody else. It's really mm -hmm. like, I think Stephen Stosny was, was the one that, you know, he talked about what his definition of abuse was. And he said that for him, it was, you know, really not caring about another person's feelings or experience. Like you just don't even care. Right. And like you're talking about when you're so wrapped up in your own pain and you're just going to dump that on somebody else in whatever form, spiritually, emotionally, sexually, physically. Yeah. You aren't caring about that person. It's about you. Right. Yeah. And that does so much damage. Mm -hmm. 
So, okay. So that's, that's helpful to go through all those. I hope that was, you know, for my listeners, I hope that was helpful to go through and understand all of those. And in your, in your work with helping people find peace and help them heal from all of these, I'm guessing there's a lot of crossover with these. Yeah. So like, obviously if you were in, in an abusive relationship, there's probably a lot of rejection going on Yeah, or there's neglect going on. So they do do crossover. It, for me, it's helpful to put a name to it, to be able to say, hey, this is my rejection wound, or hey, this is my abandonment wound, or my neglect wounds being stirred up. Because if I can name it, then I can do something about it. I can take ownership of it. I try really hard to get couples to not use the words like, you're rejecting me, or you are uh, neglecting me, because there's a form of blame in that. But to say, wow, when you're doing that, that's really stirring up my, my neglect wound. Or when you're doing that, that's really stirring up my abandonment. It's my wound. Your behavior is bumping up against it. But, but this is mine. And I, gotta, I, I need to take ownership for it and, and express what I need from that. So it helps suck out some of the blame. Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of people would hear, hear something like this and maybe believe like, oh, wow, give it a name so you can be more of a victim now. And right, there's always that fear, I think, when, when people start doing this work, they, they, I, in my experience, they, they worry that they're going to you know, be stuck in kind of this victim mindset all the time. Oh, I'm somebody who has this specific wound. How do you help people? I mean, what have you seen? How do you help people keep from just staying in this powerlessness all the time? Does, I mean, does naming it help with that? I think it does. And I, I used to work in the hospital. And so I got to see pictures of actual wounds, like really nasty wounds. I love looking at those pictures. But it's, to me, these are like, under the surface, you can't see them, but they're they're wounds, and so it's going to require wound care, just like the nurses would go in and they would have to pack the wound and stuff. So it doesn't do any good for a person to just sit around and say, "Well, you know, I'm I'm wounded, I'm wounded," and and play that victim. That doesn't do any healing whatsoever. It's like I'm wounded, and I got to heal this thing. I got to figure out how to make this close this wound up, make it a little less sensitive. I got to take ownership for it, and so if I can give it a name. Just like what the nurses would do with identifying, well, this is this type of wound or this type of wound, it helps them then to identify what's the course of treatment that's helpful for that particular wound to heal rather than just sitting around and complaining that I have a rejection wound and just playing a victim, which doesn't help anything. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I think about a guy I talked to years ago who had a had an encounter with his very neglectful mother. And he'd come in to meet with me because he'd had a major relapse with his addiction. And we were starting to kind of figure it out and retrace his steps and figure mm-hmm. out what had happened. And he'd had a, a chance encounter with his mother in a parking lot. He hadn't spoken to her in years. And he felt this sort of, you know, instinctive pull to go hug her because, you know, it's his mom. And he didn't mm-hmm. hate her guts. He just, she, he just kept his distance and she was neglectful anyway and wasn't making efforts. Well, when he went to hug her, he basically hugged a right a, a cold fish. Like she didn't, mm. she didn't respond at all. There was no warmth. There was no nothing maternal about it. And he thought he walked away from that feeling, you know, okay and strong. Well, within a few days, he was back in his addiction. And we talked mm. about we talked about that. And I agree with you, Troy, that when when you're able to identify what exactly was triggered, what the what the wound was specifically, and for him, of course, it was a neglect wound. And then, yeah. you know, you start to add words around it and it's validating. It lets them know that they're not crazy and it gives them, gives them a way to, to start taking ownership of that and saying like, okay, I probably need some boundaries around this and I can start to spot maybe when I'm going to get into a situation where I'm going to re-experience that wound. 
Right. I mean, this is all part of just organizing it. So it's not this disorganized wound all the time. Right. There's something really yeah. powerful. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, and I think, especially working with the clients who are struggling with addiction, I think it's really helpful. Just kind of like what you did with that, the, that one, when I have a client who's relapsed, I'm like, okay, what wound got stirred up for you? Yeah. What was it? Oh yeah. And they don't even see it at the beginning, but they immediately go to the numbing. They want to numb the pain because it hurts so bad. And so we start to unpack this wound and say, oh, well, that, that was your neglect wound. No wonder why you went right back to your numbing behaviors. So let's figure out another way to get that need met in a healthier way than what you did this time. Yeah, I love that. Let's figure out another way to get that need met. And don't you find that in your work that virtually every, I mean, this is an addiction podcast, trauma podcast. And don't you find that working with clients who are battling with addictions and even with betrayal trauma, that all these triggers, in my experience, all of them seem to point back to some kind of an attachment wound. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's why I, I, I guess that's why I get so passionate about that is like, I, I cannot think of a case where I've had a, someone who struggled with their relapse that is not tied to some kind of attachment wounding experience in their life that just got re, re out, opened or stirred up again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is why, and, the, and you know, you talk about having a, a, a passion or a soapbox about this is that I will say till I'm blue in the face that if we only focus on stopping the behavior, the sobriety aspect of the behavioral control, and we miss this stuff, mm -hmm. then we never really close the wound. We never really stop the addiction. It's, they will find a way to numb out because this stuff just doesn't stop hurting on its own. Right. No, it doesn't go away. It's not like a regular wound that heals over time. These, these emotional wounds don't heal without some actual wound care. Yeah. Yeah. They're deep enough. They're not, they're not band-aid level stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this idea of attachment wounds for, for a lot of women who have been traumatized and betrayed by their, you know, by their significant other, their husbands or whoever, a lot of the times I, we say this, this word and they feel mixed about it. They feel like, am I supposed to feel sorry for him now? Am I supposed mm -hmm. to all of a sudden provide him all this wound care when I'm over here bleeding out because of the betrayal that he's created for me? You've heard this too, right? Mm -hmm. This is, and, and it's tricky, you know, from a treatment standpoint, because we've got basically two people, one guy that was bleeding out a, probably a long time, injured somebody else. Now you've got two people that are hurting. What do you say to that, Troy? I have my own answer, but I'd love to hear you, what you, how you handle that. So especially at the beginning of this thing, it's, it's hard. So I, I would work with the guy and like help them understand like your, your spouse is not going to be able to show up for you right now. <laughs> so the expectation that she's going to show up for you, that you're going to have to find some other healthy ways to be able to deal with this pain. That's why we send you to groups and stuff like that while she's healing her stuff, because this is a really, this is a brand new wound for her. It's really big. And then I, I do the same thing with her of, okay, so let's figure out what we can do to help start to heal some of this wound, give you some stabilization, help you. One of the, the big things that happens with these wounds is it's not necessarily that the bad things happen to us, but it's what we end up believing about ourselves, which is the negative core messages attached to that. And when I'm dealing with a betrayal wound, oftentimes with the, the partner, it's like, am I not enough? I must not have been, there must have been something wrong with me. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't pretty enough, all that kind of stuff. So we have to help her be able to understand and rewrite some of those that she is enough, even though he behaved in a way. And that's going to take a little bit of time. And while she's working on that, 
I want to do wound care for her and help her to be able to find some stabilization before we get to a point where the hope is that they'll be able to look at each other in the eye one day and, and be able to say, I see your wound. I see that you're hurting. Can you see my wound? Can you see that I'm hurting? And there's some compassion that goes both ways with that. But I think it's unreasonable to expect that right at the beginning. Right. Cause you basically have two people in ICU and they're, right. they're in separate beds and, and you can't just you know, start doing couples therapy to try and repair this. I mean, it's just, it's just so messy. And a lot of times I think clinicians and even, you know, well-meaning family friends, ecclesiastical leaders jump in and just try and bandage this whole thing up without really looking at the fact that there's, there's deep wounding that has to be addressed. And which is why it's such a long process. It's mm-hmm. not because therapists need job security. It's because there's actual work to be done. And we're just thorough enough to make sure it gets done correctly so that they don't show back up in our office in 10 years. Yeah. If we've, if we've all done our job right. Yeah. Yeah. I think about somebody who's had open heart surgery, we're not going to expect them to start running, running even a 3k or a 5k. They they need some healing. There's a couple of months of healing before they can start doing some stuff. And that's the same when we're dealing with these emotional wounds. The problem is, is nobody realizes there's any wounding going on. They're just focused on the fact, you know, the equivalent of a heart attack thing. Be like, oh my goodness, this person fell on the floor. You know, we need to pick them up. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, oh, there's more going on here. That's why they felt, you know, why are they acting out in their addiction? Well, it's because there's deeper things going on here. So these wounds, right. I love that you've broken them down and slowed it down and, and given people lots of ways to wrap language around this because they are nuanced. Each wound has its own flavor, if you will, and each person needs to understand their story. And the more options you give them, the more language you give them around these wounds, I think people can find themselves in it. That's been my experience. And it's so validating. Yeah. And I agree. It gives them a vocabulary to talk about something that they didn't even maybe even recognize was a thing. But then they they start to recognize, oh my gosh, I've had this rejection wound my whole life. It makes sense why I'm turning to my drug of choice to try and get some acceptance. I'm realizing that's not helping and it makes me feel even worse as a human being every time I do it, but I, I can see why I'm doing it now. So now I can maybe identify some healthier ways to resolve that. Yeah. And that's, that's a perfect segue because in our next episode, I want to jump in with you and talk about what to do with these wounds, because it's one thing to identify them and talk about them. And unfortunately, some people stop there and then develop a victim identity around, Mm -hmm. well, I'm just wounded, so feel bad for me. And everybody, you know, overcompensate for me because I'm so hurt and I'm a victim of this. But obviously, we can't stop there. Naming it, organizing it, like we've talked about in this episode, is so critical. And you you need to know what you're working on. But right. where do we go from here? And and what does that look like? What are some of the steps involved? What are some of the, the pieces that have to be accounted for? And helping somebody move forward and, and, and step out of the wounding and, and develop resilience. And so so we're gonna we'll jump into that, Troy, in the next interview. Does that sound good? Yeah. Can I just say one thing about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Um it's I use the analogy sometimes like if you got bit by a rattlesnake, you have two choices. You can Go chase the rattlesnake down and beat beat it to death because it hurts you. Or you can take care of the the bite. And if I choose option A, the poison is just going to run through my body and I'm going to die. It's going to kill me. So I kind of I can't blame the rattlesnake. I can't focus the energy on that because that will end up killing me. I need to take care of the rattlesnake bite itself. I need to do the wound care so that I can heal. Yeah, that is so important. Absolutely. 
yeah, the 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 natural tendency is to is to fight and to and to you know chase and be active and you know there's all that energy. But I I'm right there with you. It's like you said, it's hard to face the wound, and it's uh, mm. it's very sacred work actually. And so that's great, Troy. I'll have you back. We'll talk in the next episode about what to do with all of this now that we've sort of organized and laid out what these are to help people know that there's hope and there's there's forward movement with this. Sounds wonderful. Okay. Thank you. You can connect with Troy online on his website, troyllove.com. And he'll also send you a free ebook if you give him your email address and name. And you can also find his books, Finding Peace, and then his brand new book, A Year of Self-Love, on amazon.com or other places where books are sold. I encourage you to connect with his work. As you can see, he's a very thoughtful, great clinician, and has done a lot to bring healing to lots of people all over the world. Thank you again, Troy, for spending time with us today. And once again, I want to remind you that the Trust Building Bootcamp is available on the website, trustbuildingacademy.com. And if you enter the code Illuminate at the checkout, you can receive 30% off as an Illuminate podcast listener. In the next episode, I'm going to continue my interview with Troy Love, and we're going to switch topics. In this next interview, I'm going to talk with him about what to do with all these wounds because there's such a temptation sometimes when you're so wounded to not know how to get out of it and then just turn into some victim thinking and to feel stuck and feel powerless. And that's a very easy thing to feel when you feel like you've been so wounded and maybe nobody cares about it. So Troy and I are going to talk about how do you get out of that? How do you feel empowered and pull yourself out of those places and get some deep healing so that you don't just become a victim to all these wounds for the rest of your life. So check in with us in the next episode of the Illuminate Podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening and make sure to head over to iTunes or wherever you can rate podcasts and leave us a rating and so other people can find this life-changing information and get the support that they might desperately need right now. 